One of the first times I talked to Judy Berry on the phone, and I had never met her, I said, Judy, you know, the earth is not dying. It's being killed. And the people who are killing it have names and addresses. What I mean by that is through power structure research, through hunting very carefully, we can find out the names and addresses of the people who really have their foot on our necks, the people who are really causing the damage. And then nonviolently, my vision, my dream is that thousands, thousands, millions of people go to those homes, go to the places where they shop, go to the places where they take their vacation, sit in the doorways, lie in front of the cars, and when they're hauled away to jail, other people take their place. Surround them, put them in jail. Oh yes, I know it's an air-conditioned jail and the food's pretty good, but they're in lager, they're surrounded, like it, like in uh, Montreal, um, like at Genoa. They're behind the barbed wire, they're behind the concrete. We've got them in prison, we've got to understand that they're afraid of us, all right? Let's make sure that they can't enjoy their ill-gotten gain. Welcome to Names and Addresses. That was Utah Phillips talking about uh, his view of what we should do, how we should act in the midst of these major corporations that in various ways rule our lives. And that's what this podcast is all about. This is Names and Addresses, where we call out the modern robber barons and unmask the corporate malfeasance targeting our social, economic, and political systems. We think by bringing these uh, issues to light, it will help to reduce the grip that these institutions have on our social structures. As Utah Phillips might add, who are these assholes? And uh, we don't have any sponsors for this episode, but we do have uh, identified a organization that is absolutely not a sponsor of this episode, and that is AT&T. We'll talk more about AT&T in a bit. But first, the robber baron of the week. So the robber baron of the week for this week is a California company. It is called Wedgwood Properties. And here's one of the reasons that they earn that distinction for this episode. This piece is written and published in The Intercept, written by Rebecca Burns. The California company that evicted a group of homeless mothers from a West Oakland, California home this week is the force behind a sprawling national home flipping operation. Through a related entity, the company Wedgwood Properties also benefited from a controversial government program to offload distressed federally insured loans to investors. Early Tuesday morning, sheriff's deputies evicted the group Moms for Housing, who were occupying a foreclosed, investor-owned home in West Oakland. In November, the four women and their children moved into a home that had sat vacant for two years, rallying community support for their fight against real estate speculators they accused of exacerbating the area's housing crisis. Quote, There are four times as many empty homes in Oakland as there are homeless people, said Samira Karim one of the mothers at a press conference outside the home in November. Why should anyone, especially children, sleep on the street 
while perfectly good homes sit empty. This week after the mothers lost a court battle to stay in the home, the Alameda County Sheriff's Department descended with armored vehicles and AR-15 rifles, arresting two of the women and two of their supporters. It recalled the housing standoffs that grabbed headlines in the years following the 2008 housing market crash as groups like the Occupy movement took over vacant foreclosed houses. But where housing activists once faced off against major banks, they're increasingly coming up against faceless corporations operating with even less transparency. The West Oakland home occupied by Moms for Housing was purchased at foreclosure auction by a subsidiary of Wedgwood Properties, a home-flipping giant that does business nationwide through an alphabet soup of companies, such as HMC Assets LLC and FI-337 LLC. Wedgwood did not respond to a request for comment, but after the company prevailed in court against the mothers, Spokesperson Sam Singer issued a statement celebrating the ruling. Singer also chastened, Singer also chastised three Oakland City Council members who tried to negotiate a deal to sell the home to an affordable housing land trust, thereby, thereby allowing the mothers to stay. Quote, the solution to Oakland's housing crisis is not the redistribution of citizens' homes through illegal break-ins and seizures by squatters, said Singer, adding that the three council members, quote, must take real steps to address Oakland's drug abuse, mental illness, and homeless issues. Anya Svano, communications director for the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, which supported the mother's protests, called Wedgwood, quote, a displacement machine. Wedgwood has filed hundreds of eviction cases in the Bay Area and has been sued at least three times for wrongful eviction. Two suits ended in settlements, while a third is still active. Wedgwood's sprawling operation epitomizes a major shift in the housing market, which is increasingly dominated by anonymous owners operating through a web of shell companies. More than 3 million homes and 13 million apartment buildings are owned by LLP, LC, or LLC entities, according to 2015 census data, business structures that do not mandate naming owners or investors. Most states no longer require limited liability companies to disclose their owners, making them an attractive vehicle for, quote, individuals who wish to own real estate but want to be able to hide their identity said Susan Pace Hamill, a University of Alabama law professor. That often poses a major problem for tenants trying to figure out who exactly is evicting them, or cities that want to go after the owner of vacant properties in disrepair. In 2018, The Guardian exposed conservative TV host Sean Hannity's multi-million dollar property empire, which he assembled via dozens of shell companies with names combining the initials of his children's names. In a series of New York Times investigations in 2015 and 2016, chronicled how in New York City, limited liability companies were being used to launder money and defraud struggling homeowners. The aftermath of the foreclosure crisis offered an unparalleled opportunity 
for institutional investors. Operating through a maze of subsidiaries, they flooded the housing market to buy up cheap foreclosed homes nationwide. In Atlanta, the private equity giant Blackstone bought 1,400 homes in a single day in 2013. In many cases, federal policies enabled the investor feeding frenzy. After largely failing to aid homeowners at risk of defaulting, government-backed mortgage entities auctioned tens of thousands of distressed loans that they wanted off their books. The program was supposed to give borrowers a last shot at hanging on to their homes, but the hedge funds and private equity firms buying loans were often quick to foreclose. As a 2015 New York New York Times investigation detailed. Community organizations labeled the programs a, quote, Wall Street giveaway and staged a series of protests, winning reforms in 2016 that made it easier for nonprofits to purchase the loans. But much of the damage had been done of more than 100,000 loans sold through the program. The majority ended up in the hands of just four large investors. One of them, HMC Assets, purchased loans from the Department of Housing and Urban Development, Fannie Mae, and Freddie Mac, using a series of special-purpose entities. In 2014, HMC Assets merged with Wedgwood. The result of these government loan sales was a rapid concentration of ownership in many communities hard hit by the foreclosure crisis. Noted a 2017 study, in the NYU Journal of Legislation and Public Policy. Quote, We see the foreclosure crisis coming full circle, wrote attorney Brad Greenberg, the study's author. Homeowners in communities that were previously targeted by subprime lenders are now burdened by housing markets dominated by organized money in a different form, institutional investors with consolidated holdings. In the Bay Area, an investigation by the local NBC affiliate found 98 active LLCs linked to Wedgwood. Through them, it's been involved in thousands of property transactions and more than 300 court cases, mostly evictions, since 2015. A monopoly board renamed Wedgwood is affixed to the wall of the company's Redondo Beach headquarters. California housing activists first faced off against Wedgwood in 2016 when they supported an immigrant couple attempting to buy their home of 10 years back from Wedgwood. The couple said their lender sold the home at auction while they were attempting to negotiate a loan modification, a practice known as dual tracking. The company, the couple, was ultimately evicted. A pending lawsuit in Dallas County, Texas, tells a similar story. The plaintiff, who purchased her home in 2006, claimed that she had a pending loan modification when her home was sold to a Wedgwood subsidiary without the required legal notice. There are at least 500 deed records tied to Wedgwood LLCs in Dallas County. The full scope of the company's activities are exceedingly difficult to trace, but entities related to Wedgwood operate in at least 18 states, according to the NBC investigation. The Moms for Housing protest in Oakland is over for now, but the organizers are looking to build a larger campaign against the kind of harmful actors they say Wedgwood exemplifies. Quote, We want speculators out of our community, Dominique Walker told reporters on Monday, 
They're coming in. They're profiting off harm's, harm that's done in our community, and we want them out. And the Moms for Housing certainly aren't uh, giving up, even though this early chapter in their existence may have come to a close. Um, but in fact, after this uh, report, or after this story was published, the Moms for Housing got at least a verbal agreement from Wedgwood to sell the property to a land trust or community trust that they had been living in. So uh, more power to Moms for Housing and other individuals and organizations fighting companies like Wedgwood. And that'll bring us to our main story for this episode. Um, the company that we're focusing on this episode is AT&T. There's a, a whole lot of reasons why AT&T is our uh, featured company on this episode. And we'll get into a couple of those in a minute. AT&T Incorporated is an American multinational conglomerate holding company headquartered at Whitaker Tower in downtown Dallas, Texas. It is the world's largest telecommunications company, the largest provider of mobile telephone services, and the largest provider of fixed telephone services in the United States through AT&T Communications. Since June 14, 2018, it is also the parent company of mass media conglomerate Warner Media, making it the world's largest media and entertainment company in terms of revenue. As of 2018, AT&T is ranked number nine on the Fortune 500 rankings of the largest United States corporations by total revenue. AT&T began its history as Southwestern Bell Telephone Company, a subsidiary of the Bell Telephone Company founded by Alexander Graham Bell in 1877. The Bell Telephone Company became the American Telephone and Telegraph Company in 1885 and was later rebranded as the AT&T Corporation. The 1982 United States vs. AT&T antitrust lawsuit resulted in the divestiture of AT&T Corporation's Ma Bell's subsidiaries, or Regional Bell Operating Companies, RBOCs, commonly referred to as Baby Bells. Yes, there was a time in our history, listeners, that the U.S. government used antitrust laws and broke up monopoly companies. AT&T is one of the last major breakups of uh, antitrust in our country. But what once was broken apart came back together. Southwestern Bell Corporation was one of those baby bells. That company later changed its name to SBC Communications. In 2005, SBC purchased its former parent, AT&T Corporation, and took on its branding with the merged entity naming itself AT&T Inc. and using its iconic logo and stock trading symbol. 
In 2006, AT&T acquired Bell South, the last independent baby Bell company, making their formerly joint venture Singular Wireless, wholly owned and rebranding it as AT&T Mobility. So uh, while that was one of the victories in antitrust, it was not all that long lived. So what's going on now that uh, puts AT&T on our radar? Here's a piece from the NewYorkPost.com written by Josh Cosman. While Randall Stevenson gushes about holiday bonuses and creating jobs, he's been busy swinging the axe. The AT&T boss, citing a mountain of cash at the telecom giant will keep because of Trump's tax cuts, said this week that AT&T will pay out $200 million to employees by awarding 200000 of its rank-and-file year-end bonuses of $1,000 each. That's on the heels of last month, when CEO Stevenson pledged to create 7,000 jobs with $1 billion AT&T expects to save on taxes. Quote, these are 7,000 jobs of people putting fiber in the ground, hard hat jobs that make $70,000 to $80,000 per year, Stevenson said, at an event hosted by the Economic Club of New York. Meanwhile, however, a slew of AT&T layoffs nationwide looks poised to claim casualties running into the thousands. As the Post reported this week, AT&T fired more than 700 cable installers earlier this month. Elsewhere, sources said AT&T has lately laid off 215 high-skilled technician jobs in nine southern states. Those jobs, many paying $36 an hour, will be eliminated in the first quarter, sources said. Quote, it just seems funny that if they're going to create 7,000 jobs, why is it necessary to lay off 215 Southeast workers, one of the skilled technicians griped to the post. Add to that 280 jobs that will be cut beginning February 17 at AT&T's Dallas Credit and Collection Center, a source to AT&T confirmed. Also in February, 278 jobs will be cut at AT&T's El Paso, Texas call center. Yet another 87 positions will be scaled back at the company's Kansas City, Missouri credit and collection center, according to the source. AT&T also fired an undisclosed number of workers in November at its Atlanta-based entertainment wireless group. This smattering of layoffs alone, likely only part of the looming bloodbath, according to sources, could save AT&T as much as $100 million. As such, the total layoffs could save AT&T enough cash to offset the $200 million in bonuses it's planning, and which earned praise from President Trump earlier this week. Quote, that's because of what we did, Trump said, celebrating AT&T's bonus plan. So that's pretty good. Labor lawyer Stephen Consol, whose firm Consol Metiachi is representing workers suing AT&T in Trenton, New Jersey for age discrimination, alleges AT&T came up with a plan to replace its aging workforce with a younger one by the year 2020. Quote, We are very committed to showing exactly what AT&T is doing in connection with laying off older workers, Consol told The Post. From January 31, 2016 to January 31, 2017, AT&T employment fell by 5% from 281,000 to 268,000, according 
to public filings. A New York Times profile of Stevenson in February 2016 said senior executives believed eliminating 30% of AT&T's workforce by 2020 was not out of the question. Quote, it's not uncommon for our employment levels to fluctuate over the course of time, an AT&T spokesman said, saying company is, quote, adding people in many parts of our business that are experiencing higher customer demand. But the spokesman also admitted that, quote, Technology improvements are driving higher efficiencies, and there are some areas where demand for our legacy services continues to decline. Our employment figures reflect all of these factors. AT&T last year showed its financial support for the Trump administration, donating $2.1 million to his inauguration, according to public records. Stevenson is also president of the Boy Scouts of America, and arranged for Trump this year to speak in front of the scouts. Still, Trump's Department of Justice last month sued to block AT&T's $85 billion deal to buy the Time Warner deal, which is a poorly worded sentence. Some speculate this week's announcements about bonuses and jobs are a bid to curry favor with the White House. So that piece was from New York Post. That piece, as you may have uh, discovered by what it contained is a couple years old now so that is one piece of the puzzle of uh, AT&T here's a story that's a little bit more recent uh, actually this yeah this story is now is about a year old AT&T preps for new layoffs despite billions in tax breaks and regulatory favors this is written by Carl Bode and is published at vice.com. AT&T is preparing for yet another significant round of layoffs, according to internal documents obtained by Motherboard. The staff reductions come despite billions in tax breaks and regulatory favors AT&T promised would dramatically boost both investment and job creation. A source at AT&T who asked to remain anonymous because they were not authorized to speak publicly, told Motherboard the company leadership is planning what is calling, quote, a geographic rationalization and employment, quote, surplus reduction that will consolidate some aspects of AT&T operations in 10 major operational hubs in New York, California, Texas, New Jersey, Washington State, Colorado, Georgia, Illinois, Missouri, and Washington, D.C. A spokesperson for AT&T confirmed to Motherboard that it's planning to, quote, adjust its workforce. The corporate euphemisms really fly uh, hot and heavy when they're talking about firing people. While AT&T has yet to come up with final formal internal tally for this new round of looming layoffs, AT&T employees worry the staff reductions could prove to be significant especially outside of these core areas. Managers are being briefed on the plans now, though AT&T isn't expected to formally announce the specifics until they're finalized later this month. The staff reductions were first announced in an internal memo sent to managers last Friday by Jeff McElfresh, President, Technology and Operations at AT&T. Quote, To win in this new world, we must continue to lower costs and keep getting faster, leaner, and more agile, McElfresh told employees. 
This includes reductions in our organization and others across the company, which will begin later this month and take place over several months. The ongoing consolidation isn't surprising for a company that's attempting to pivot from curmudgeon, curmudgeonly old phone company to sexy new media brand via its acquisition of Time Warner. AT&T is desperate to shed old DSL customers it doesn't want to upgrade and instead want to utilize those resources for its pivot into streaming video over wireless. This news comes in the wake of AT&T receiving a $20 billion windfall last quarter, courtesy of the Trump administration tax breaks. That's in addition to the friendlier environment AT&T finds itself in as a result of the Trump administration's assault on consumer protections, ranging from net neutrality to broadband privacy guidelines. In a memo of talking points advising managers on how to address employee concerns obtained by Motherboard, AT&T attempts to explain away the disconnect between the company's words and its actions. Quote, What we've said was that AT&T planned to invest an additional $1 billion in the United States this year as a result of tax reform, and that research shows that every $1 billion in capital invested in the telecom industry creates about 7,000 good-paying jobs for American workers across the broader economy, the memo states. Hmm. Let's take a look back at that, store, at that story from a year before. Was there a quote? Yes, there was a quote. There was a quote from uh, Mr. Steve, CEO Stevenson, Randall Stevenson, CEO of AT&T, quoted previously in the New York Post as saying, These are 7,000 jobs of people putting fiber in ground, hard hat jobs that make $70,000 to $80,000 per year. Stevenson said at an event hosted by the Economic Club of New York. Fast forward to a story which is now a year old, and AT&T's internal document says, quote, What we've said was that AT&T planned to invest additional $1 billion, etc., etc., in the telecom industry. Investing $1 billion creates about 7,000 good-paying jobs for American workers across the broader economy. No, that is not what he said. He said putting fiber in the ground, hard hat jobs, AT&T construction of new fiber in the ground is in fact what he said, unless that previous story misquoted him. So nice spin, but not accurate. But wireless sector investment actually declined last year with most of the savings from regulatory favors and tax breaks going instead towards stock buybacks, executive compensation, or to pay off the mammoth debt accumulated by a series of AT&T mega-mergers many consumers and employees didn't want in the first place. When contacted for comment, AT&T confirmed that the company was planning another round of staff reductions, but insisted that any layoffs would only impact a very small portion of the company's overall workforce. Quote, we are hiring to meet the needs of the growth areas of our business, the company told Motherboard. In fact, we hired more than 20,000 new employees last year and more than 17,000 the year before. In cases where we do have to adjust our workforce, we take steps to lessen the effect on employees. 
but outside analysis and union officials contest these numbers. AT&T's offshoring efforts have resulted in 44 closed call centers and 16,000 lost U.S. jobs since 2011. And despite AT&T CEO Randall Stephen promising 7,000 high-paying jobs thanks to the Trump tax cuts, a new report released this week by the Communications Workers of America claims 10,700 U.S.-based union jobs have been eliminated in the last year alone. Thanks to a reduction of future AT&T tax liabilities in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, AT&T saw profits of $29.5 billion in 2017, up from $13 billion in 2016. The permanently lower tax rate should net AT&T an additional $3 billion annually in perpetuity. The CWA report states, Similar windfalls have been enjoyed by Verizon, which has also responded not with raises or hiring, but staff reductions. And that those trends are not unique to the telecommunications industry. AT&T initially insisted it had doled out $1,000 bonuses to 200,000 employees as a direct result of the Trump tax cuts. It was later revealed that these bonuses had already been negotiated as part of unrelated union negotiations. Even then, the $200 million expenditure from the bonuses amounted to just 7% of AT&T's expected annual benefit from the cuts, the report found. Much much like many, many other promises um, that are attributed to Trump, they, they weren't new, they weren't caused by what Trump's actions were, they were already planned and were already going to happen, and then um, the credit was given to something that that Trump did or Trump promoted. Quote, Despite its strong financial position and promises to invest in its American workforce, AT&T has shifted much of its employment away from good, family-supporting jobs and towards a low-wage model that undermines the quality of its customer service and its standing as a good corporate citizen, the CWA said in this week's report. Granted, none of this is really new. Both AT&T and Verizon were widely criticized back in 2014 when it was similarly found that telecom tax breaks didn't result in the increased investment or job creation. AT&T's promises of, quote, synergies in the wake of its $85 billion acquisition of Time Warner have proven to be similarly hollow and the industry's false claims regarding the benefits of killing net neutrality are well documented. Someday, younger generations may want to seriously reconsider America's historical obsession with blindly throwing tax breaks, subsidies, and deregulatory favors at companies in exchange for benefits that seem to never actually materialize. Until then, we seem intent on repeating the same mistakes having learned little to nothing from experience. And finally, a story just from last month. U.S. companies are forcing workers to train their own foreign replacements. This is published at Axios.com, written by Steph W. Knight. 
Opponents of job outsourcing are making a holiday season appeal to President Trump. Stop U.S. companies from forcing American workers to train the very same cheaper foreign laborers who will soon replace them. Trump promised voters he'd end abuses of worker visa programs and save U.S. jobs. But as he campaigns for re-election, advocates say he hasn't done enough. AT&T is poised to send thousands into the new year, hunting for new jobs after assigning them to train their own foreign replacements, according to conversations with current and former workers and documents obtained by Axios. Many have worked for the company for over a decade. They aren't being offered severance or early retirement and may not easily find a comparable job elsewhere with similar pay. Sarah Blackwell, a Florida-based lawyer who represents Americans displaced by workers on visas or overseas, told Axios, quote, American workers are tired of waiting for President Trump to do something on this issue. They've gone from great hope in President Trump's administration to great discouragement. She sent letters to Senator John Cornyn, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, and Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson as AT&T is headquartered in Dallas. She also met this month to discuss the problem with White House officials. Despite receiving a $3 billion tax cut last year, AT&T announced new and expanded alliances with big outsourcing companies to replace workers with foreign or cheaper domestic talent. Like many major U.S. companies, AT&T has been shifting jobs for years now. But 2019 was especially noteworthy, as workers claimed that as many as 3,000 finance jobs were being outsourced to Accenture. AT&T denied the 3,000 figure, but declined to provide Axios with its own number. AT&T also signed multi-year deals with IBM, Tech Mahindra, and Amdocs this year. Accenture, IBM, and Tech Mahindra were in the top 10 companies to request H-1B, high-skilled worker visas, this year. Quote, We are continuously working to be more efficient in our operations, AT&T's Jim Kimberly told Axios. When possible, AT&T is, quote, helping employees find other positions within the company, he said. Current and former Department of Homeland Security officials who spoke to Axios expressed frustration that more isn't being done to keep foreign worker visa programs from undercutting U.S. workers. Lawmakers have signaled bipartisan support for reforms to high-skilled immigrant visas that could help. For years now, the Trump administration has talked about policy changes, such as ending work authorization for the spouses of certain H-1B visa holders. But the proposal prompted outrage from tech giants, and it has yet to be finalized. There are, few, there are few comprehensive studies and little agreement on the scope of the phenomenon, experts told Axios, because contracts and outsourcing processes are typically kept quiet. Blackwell said past contracts she's seen lead her to believe that as many as 9 in 10 of those impacted by AT&T's outsourcing may end up training foreign replacements. It's a common business model that's been used by other U.S. companies, including Disney, Verizon, Bank of America, Toys R Us, and Southern California Edison. 
Axios spoke with workers who have already transitioned or will switch in January to working for outsourcing companies. Three current or recently fired AT&T employees broke down in tears during telephone interviews. Typically, workers are guaranteed 12 months at the outsourcing company, after which they will likely be let go. Only a handful are offered severance or early retirement. Quote, Folks aren't going on vacation. They're cutting back on their Christmas shopping, one person said. If you know that you're going to be losing your job, you don't want to spend the money. Workers may be assured their job will not change when they are, quote, rebadged to work for a contractor. The sad reality is you've just been terminated without your severance, said one worker. Axios interviewed, you're at the mercy of a company that doesn't really want you. Workers described shock and confusion when they were told during a scripted phone call that after a decade or longer at AT&T, they'd have to work for a contractor or resign. Some were told they could not apply for other jobs inside AT&T. Some were told they were needed for a, quote, knowledge transfer then tapped to train people on work visas or overseas who would replace them. The presentation obtained by Axios outlining the knowledge transfer process for AT&T and, and Accenture includes a slide on how to interact with Indian workers. So just one of the many reasons AT&T is our uh, notorious company for this episode. So who who is AT&T? As mentioned previously, AT&T is located in Dallas, Texas at Whitaker Tower. And the leadership, Randall L. Stevenson, is chairman and CEO of AT&T Inc. Uh, you can find all of the leadership board at the AT&T website. Um, and in fact, the site that I'm looking at at the moment is at investors.att.com that has the corporate governance and leadership team. Um, Jim Ciccone is interim senior executive vice president, external and legislative affairs, legislative affairs. He's the guy that's getting them all their tax breaks and, and pushing the legislation that they want. David S. Huntley is the Senior Executive Vice President and Chief Compliance Officer. We've got Lori Lee, David R. McHattie II, Angela Santone, John Stanky, and John J. Stevens, who is Senior Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer of AT&T, Inc., so, of course, with all major uh, corporations these days, you can find out all the details you want about AT&T from AT&T's perspective on AT&T's website. So, the good thing about um, the problems and the challenges that uh, these companies are posing to us, to our environment, to our economy to our culture, to our social structures, is that there's a hell of a lot of people out there fighting against them, fighting for a better world, fighting to stop the most egregious abuses. And uh, there's a podcast for that. 
It's called People Are Revolting. It's another podcast that I do. It's a daily podcast. It's your daily dose of disobedience. You can uh, follow People Are Revolting and get those daily podcasts of um, different actions, different activities people are taking around the world to fight for a better world. Here is one of those episodes. This is Harvard Law Protesters. If you want a sign that humanity's still got it going on, the people are revolting. Welcome to People Are Revolting. This story is written by Emily Pontecorvo and is published at grist.org. On Wednesday night, more than 100 first-year Harvard Law students gathered at a restaurant in Cambridge, Massachusetts for a reception hosted by the corporate law firm Paul, Weiss, Rifkind, Wharton, and Garrison, LLP. The opulent affair replete with lobsters for snacking, an ice sculpture, and an open bar, was one of many regular functions held by elite law firms to draw elite aspiring attorneys into the fold. But about 30 students put their job prospects at risk when they interrupted the event with a demonstration. As Paul, Weiss attorney and partner Canon Shanmugam got up to deliver a speech, a small group of students unfurled a banner that read, Drop Exxon, and cut him off with a protest song. Which side are you on, they sang. Does it weigh on you at all? The lyrics alluded to Paul Weiss's defense of ExxonMobil in several ongoing lawsuits over the oil giant's role in climate change. The firm recently successfully defended Exxon in a case brought by the state of New York, over the accusation that it misled investors about the costs of climate change to its business. Now it's defending the company again in a similar lawsuit in Massachusetts, just miles from the Harvard campus. After the song, of course, the students joined lead organizer Aaron Regenberg in a call-and-response speech, announcing that they refused to work for a firm that helps corporate polluters block climate action. As long as Paul Weiss worked for Exxon, they wouldn't work for Paul Weiss. Quote, What is the most critical tool these corporations use to get away with climate murder? It's this right here, they chanted. Exxon knew about climate change 35 years ago, yet continued to wreck the planet and fund climate denial that led us to this crisis. That's what this firm is enabling, and the tactics they are using are extreme and unethical. Regenberg told Grist that it's highly unusual to see this kind of confrontation in the legal profession and that many of the students who participated had never been involved in a direct action before. Quote, For the longest time, this is an issue that hasn't even been questioned, he said. 
We've shown that our generation of aspiring lawyers understands that business as usual is a recipe for an unlivable future. Climate activism in the Ivy League is heating up. A parallel movement of students demanding that their schools divest from fossil fuel companies made national news in November when hundreds of protesters stormed the field at the annual Harvard-Yale football game. The law school organizers plan to continue their campaign to get Paul Weiss to drop Exxon and hope to spread the movement to other law schools. Students from Boston University and Yale University law schools have already expressed support. Regenberg says another goal is to start a conversation with Harvard about the way its culture, curriculum, student debt creation, and career service programming create a pipeline to corporate law firms. Many students who come into school hoping to pursue public interest law end up in corporate interest law, he said. Quote, that's a systemic problem and a profound factor in the creation of a legal system that in so many ways shields the wealthy and powerful at the expense of all of us. Or in the case of ExxonMobil, at the expense of human civilization as we know it. And if you want to check out back episodes of People Are Revolting, just go to peoplearerevolting.com. You can also follow on Twitter at People Revolting. Keep revolting, and thanks for listening. Don't let them escape unpunished. Torch pass, fall in the tall grass, fire alarm, why is disarm? What do you call that? Call it predictable political cliches. So when the movie ends, the revolution's dead. Replay the sequence of events that led to these deep divisions. I've realized the order wrong, people are in prison. The children wanna know if I believe in the reptilians. I tell them I don't know, but on the TV I see lizards. When action was in fashion, you were such an easy mimic. Pump a stick of quote, lifting grip no statistic. Grass for the straw man, born again, cynic. Bad weather fire. Your brand sparked my suspicion Knew you were the type to take the fight like a gimmick And rock the t-shirt when your sweat wasn't in it The clock is still ticking for the victim of the future You wait until they look like you to ever choose, but Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Damn. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Ask the industry But couldn't get from under their own small-minded hatred The same rappers say they're trooping the front lines And casually use the word faggot as a punchline That's not a man, that's not a tough guy That is a sucker and a fraud to the culture Hip-hop is folk music grown from the struggle And half these fools could put the mic down and run as a Republican Fuck them, then they learn from their own wrong Homophobes don't go to my shows, we too strong And if you in the front row harassing girls during a song I'ma reach out and ask you exactly Which side are you on? Which side are you on? You ain't gotta like it I'm on a 
organized I'm on the side of choice where it isn't short supply I'm on the side of those the system doesn't authorize LGBT, we are on the side of pride Justice and equality Egypt and Wisconsin when they march against the policy If you bring me down a king, I'm on your side probably Kids will give me shit for this, it really doesn't bother me They were not around when we were wrestling with poverty So I follow one and ask no one to follow me Use your own mind, use your heart and your anger Check yourself because apathy is a cancer And let your action be the answer up this episode of names and addresses if you want to find out more go to namesandaddresses.org you'll find back episodes listed there you'll find a link to make a or a link to send a message and you'll find a link to make a donation to keep this podcast free and independent and you can also watch and uh, listen to me record this podcast live on twitch that is at twitch.tv slash unrelated things. Thanks for listening. first times I talked to Judy Berry on the phone and I had never met her, I said, Judy, you know, the earth is not dying, it's being killed. The people who are killing it have names and addresses. Mm-hmm.